Blog Hello, Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Bucko Boots. My name is Benson Schechter and I will be your host this afternoon. Uh, Jared cannot be with us today. He has a uh, funeral to attend to. But I will be here uh, breaking down the week in Pirates baseball and getting you ready for the week ahead. Uh, and I just want to make a quick apology before getting into it. I don't have um, my regular mic today. Uh, just using the uh, headphones and the microphone on that, uh, because I am in East Troy, Wisconsin, uh, for uh, family-related matters. Uh, yeah, so what a time it has been since we last uh, were on the show. And look, the Pirates, they concluded their pre-All-Star break with a five-game sweep over the Milwaukee Brewers, getting now to 500 after the blowout last night, and the break is now over, and it's time to get back to reality. I mean, what a fun weekend it was, as the Pirates were the first team since the New York Yankees in 2006 to have a five-game sweep. After the chaos last Sunday, it was nice to go into the break on that high note, but the Pirates still have work to be done. Two weeks ago, Pirates General Manager Neil Huntington said on his radio show, and I quote, I really want to emphasize that it's not all in the next week of games, but this is not a stretch where 4-4 four and four would make us feel good. We have fallen behind some teams that are not only ahead of us, but that are beating us. We talked last week how we are not putting a for sale sign, not selling everybody, and we still are not. But we are putting ourselves in a position but we are well on the outside looking in, so we need to take a more realistic look, end quote. And, you know, the Pirates responded by beating the Phillies that Sunday, taking two of three against the Washington Nationals, and then taking all five against the Milwaukee Brewers. But an eight-and-one swing, nine-and-one, has gotten the Pirates back to 500. And as Neil Huntington said, the Pirates need more than a good week. So the current standings in the National League are as following. Um, the Cubs are in first place in the Central. They have 55 wins. Uh, the Phillies are second in the NL. Right, So they are in the East with 53 wins. And you got the Dodgers in the West leading their division with 53. Brewers with that uh, wild card spot at 55 wins in the Central. And the Braves with 52 wins in the East. Uh, they are one game back of... <clears throat> yeah, they're one game back. So then you look at um, the wild card stands for but you have the D-backs in the West. They have 53 wins. They're a half game back. The Rockies out West, they're 51 wins. They're two games back. You get the Cardinals in the Central with 48 wins. They're four games back. Giants out West, 50 wins, four games back. You have the Nationals out East, 48 wins, five games back. And the Pirates in the Central with 49 wins. They're five and a half back. Reds in the Central with 43 wins. They're 10 games back. Marlins in the East, 41 wins, they're 13 games back. The Mets in the East, 39 wins, they're 13 games back. And the Padres out West, 14 and a half games back. And the playoff teams that I mentioned, the Cubs, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Braves. The Pirates are currently chasing the Atlanta Braves. Being only five and a half games out isn't the end of the world. But being five and a half games out is only part of the story. Not only are the Pirates behind the Braves for the second wildcard spot, they're behind five other teams trailing the Braves. 
The current standings is not only the Pirates squaring off against Barbosa, they're also racing against the British, <laughs> Davy Jones, Blackbeard, and Captain Salazar, all for the trident of Poseidon. But perhaps the biggest problem for the Pirates is they only have 64 games remaining, 28 at home, compared to the Braves with 68. Time is undefeated, and the Pirates need to slow it down. Of the 15 teams, the Pirates are in the middle of the pack, 7th easiest, in terms of projected opponent win percentage for the rest of the season. Quick note, I took the projected wins from Dakota for all the teams and divided by their games remaining. Of current record, they also have the 7th easiest, but there's only 15 teams, so they're mid-pack in both. Here's uh, the 15 NL teams sorted by projected rest of the season opponent win percentage. This might be boring, but I want to go through it. So the Nationals, um, they have 66 games for many. They have 35 games at home. right? So their opponents uh, for the rest of the season, they're projected to have a uh, 49.3% winning percentage. Their projected is 49%. We have the Phillies. First in the East. Uh, they have 67 games remaining, 35 of them being which at home. 49% uh, of their opposition has won their games, and that's 49.1% projected opposition. Then you get to the Mets. They have 68 games remaining, 30 at home. Opposition has won 50.4% of their games, projected for the rest of the ways exactly 50%. Then you have the Cubs. 69 games remaining, 38 at home a 49% opposition winning percentage, and a 50.2 projected. With the Marlins, we have 64 games remaining, 30 games at home, 51.1% opposition winning percentage, that's a 50.5 projected. Atlanta Braves, 68 games at home, 30, 68 games remaining, 36 games at home, they have a 50.2 opposition winning percentage and a 50.5 projected. Then our Pittsburgh Pirates, 65, 64 games remaining, my bad, 28 games at home, a 50.4 opposition percentage, 50.6 projected opposition. Then you've got the Dodgers, 66 games remaining, 29 at home, 50.5 opposition, 50.7 projected. Diamondbacks in the desert, 65 games left, 32 of them being which at home, 50.6 opposition winning percentage, of 50.8 projected. And we got Pittsburgh out west, also known as the San Francisco Giants. 64 games left, 31 of them uh, being at home, 50.2 oppo percentage, and 51% projected. Then we have the Cardinals, 68 games remaining, 33 at home. We have 51 uh, opposition winning, and 51.3 projected. And we get the Brew Crew. Uh, side note, I will be going to the Brewers-Dodgers game tonight. Let's go Dodgers. Uh, 64 games, uh, 33 of them being at home. 51 oppo percentage. 51.4 projected. We have three teams left. The Reds, who we will be playing tonight. 66 games, 34 remaining at home. It's a 50.6 opposition on uh, 51.5 projected. And two toughest, got the Padres. 63 games at home, 30. 63 games, 30 at home. 51.9% winning opposition. 52.3 projected. And the toughest schedule remaining in the National League is the Rockies. 66 more games, 35 at home, 52.5 oppo, and a 52.9 projected. 
So for the Pirates' individual 64 games, here's a breakdown of the teams they have left. So we have the teams, and I'm going to give you their projected win percentage, right? So we got the Braves for six. They have a 45.6 projected win percentage. Got the Cubs for 10 more. They have a 56.5% winning percentage. We got the Reds for eight more. They've got a 47% winning percentage. We got the Indians for three, 59.7 uh, projected. We got the Rockies for three. That's 50 per- projected. We've got the Royals for three. They're projected at 41.8%. We got the Marlins for three at 40.6%. The Brew Crew for nine at 53.1%. The Twins for two at 48%. The Mets at four for uh, 48%. Giants at four for 50%. And the Cardinals at nine for 52%. So we have 64 grand total games left, and the projected win percentage of our opponents is 50.6%. And the good news is that 31 of their 65 games are against teams they trail in the race for the wildcard race including all six matchups with the Braves left. The bad news is between now and the trade deadline, the Pirates don't face any of those six teams they trail. For the Pirates to buy, and buying here likely means a marginal upgrade to the back end of the rotation. Though Brian Dosher would be a nice upgrade at the second, the club needs to have another good stretch. They have two more at Cincinnati, three at Cleveland, and four against the Mets at PNC. Those three teams project at 47% for the uh, Reds, 59.7% for the Indians, and 48.5% for the uh, Mets win percentage for the rest of the season. A 6-4 and four stretch puts the Pirates only at 54-53, and 53, right? Only a game above 500. Something that doesn't really move the needle for the Pirates. A 7-3 and three stretch puts the club at 55-52, and 52, three games over 500 something that might entice the Pirates to buy that back-end starter. But even that stretch of 7-3 isn't too exciting. They only jump the Nationals, would need the Giants and Cardinals to play 5-5 five and five or worse over their next 10 and jump them. That's still trailing five teams, other teams, the current wildcard holder, and the four trailing them, just for the right to play in the wildcard game. The Pirates, even with a great stretch, should probably try to trade Corey Dickerson and Yvonne Nova. As their current playoff odds are 4%, according to the baseball prospectus. Here's Pakoda's projected final records. So the Cubs are projected to win the Central at 93 wins. Dodgers are projected to win the West at 89 wins. Phillies, the East at 88 wins. Brewers, first wild card at 87.9 wins, and the Diamondbacks a second wild card with 87 wins. So here are the projections for the rest of the National League. So we got the Braves in the East, uh, 85 wins, uh, one game back. Nationals in the East, 83 wins projected, uh, three games back. Rockies in the West, 83 games, four games back. Giants also out West, 82 wins, five games back. They got the Cardinals projected at 81 wins at five games back. Our Pirates are projected to win 79 games, being 7 games back. The Reds are projected to win 74 games, being 12 games back. Mets in the East are winning 70. That would put them 16 games back. And the Marlins are projected to win 68 games, putting them 18 games back. And the Padres out West, 67 wins, putting them 19 games back. So 
as of now, the Pirates are projected to finish eight out of a wild card, or two and a half games more than as is. They only project for 79 wins, so even a back end of the rotation and a slight bullpen upgrade doesn't really help the Pirates all that much. They're still far behind the Diamondbacks for the second wild card spot and projected to finish seven behind the current wild card holder, the Atlanta Braves. Unless Clint Hurdle is able to flip the Pirates season around right as the sun sets on July 31st, the Pirates season won't resurrect back into a beautiful and mystical ship. Dead men tell no tales. And the Pirates certainly aren't dead. But there's a lot of work to do. Catch up with not only the Braves, but five other teams that are projected to finish in front of them. It's not going to be an easy stretch, but it's a stretch that I believe this team can make, that I know this team can make, that I've seen them capable of making. So we're going to move into a segment I like to call the all-time cup of coffee Pittsburgh Pirates team. As the trade deadline approaches and the Pittsburgh Pirates enter the second half of the year, having won a season-high six games in a row, it will certainly be interesting to see seven games in a row. It will certainly be interesting to see if the Bucs are able to continue their great play and convince General Manager Neil Huntington to change the club's label from seller to buyer before 4 p.m. on July 31st. So, regardless of what they end up doing, as a longtime follower of Pittsburgh Pirates baseball, the trade deadline has become a time where I enjoy sitting back and reflecting all of the moves that the front office has made throughout the years. While guys like Jack Wilson and Andrew McCutcheon had long Pirate careers, there have been players who stay on the North Shore was much shorter. Whether if they were signed before the season began and then dealt at the deadline, acquired as a rental just to leave the next season through free agency, or just flat out cut from the roster after doing some research, players in the recent past who are a member of the Pirates franchise for one year or less is rather impressive. After looking things over, I decided to go way too far with this and make an all-time roster of Pittsburgh Pirates who left their mark on the Steel City after only being here for a short time. So I made a little bit of requirements, and to make this team, here were my requirements. So the player must have played at least one game as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Second requirement, the player must have played for the Pittsburgh Pirates for less than an entire season. Two short stints in back-to-back years does not count. My third requirement, the player must have left an impact, good or bad, in their short time with the club. And my last requirement, any player to have played a game for the Pirates prior to their last division title in 1992 is ineligible to make this roster. With that being said, I would like to present to you all my first ever draft of the Pirates All Cup of Coffee team. Enjoy. So let's start with our pitcher. We got J.A. Happ, 2015. So now known in Pittsburgh Pirates circles as the one that got away, bringing up J.A. Happ's name can nearly bring tears to the eye of Bob Nutton haters. In the final minutes of the 2015 trade deadline, the Pirates acquired Happ, an underperforming left-handed pitcher from the Seattle Mariners for prospect Adrian Sampson. After a rough first time with the Bucks, Happ went on to become one of, if not, the most reliable arms down the stretch for the Pirates, going 7-2 with a 1.85 ERA and 11 starts. After coming to the team with an unknown role, Happ was expected to be in the Pirates' playoff rotation after a strong end of the regular season. 
However, Hop would never get the chance to pitch in Bucktober as teammates Garrett Cole was selected over him to be the starter in the 2015 National League wildcard game that the Pirates will lose to the Chicago Cubs. Despite his great short stint with the Pirates to let J.A. Hap go elsewhere in free agency in the following offseason, which, as I mentioned before, is still a very sensitive subject to many Pirates fans to this day. Since leaving the Pirates, Hap has quietly been one of the best pitchers in the American League in the past three seasons as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays, winning 20 games in 2016 and being named to his first All-Star game this season. Let's move to our catcher. I got Benito Santiago, 2005. So the five-time All-Star backstop had quite the career before joining the Pittsburgh Pirates in his 20th season in the Major Leagues in 2005. While Santiago came to the Bucks as a four-time Silver Slugger and a three-time Gold Glove winner, he left the team in baseball as a whole after playing just six games. In his six games as a Pirate, the 40-year-old Santiago had six hits and 23 at-bats, including a broken bat triple on opening day that sadly serves as one of my favorite moments as a Pirate fan. First base, we got Sean Casey, 2006. So after playing the first nine years of his big league career in Ohio with the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, the Upper St. Clair grad signed a deal with his hometown team prior to the start of the 2006 season. Though fans were thrilled to have the mayor playing first base for the Pirates, their front office realized that Casey was simply too valuable of a player to hold on to during the season, where the club would go on to lose 95 games. Before he was traded to the Detroit Tigers, Casey had a decent stay in Pittsburgh, hitting 296 with three home runs and 29 RBIs in his 59 games as a Pirate. Second base, Akinori Iwamura. We had him in 2010. So unlike many of the others to come on this list, Iwamura's stay in Pittsburgh was not a very good one. After hitting 281 in his three-year career at the Tampa Bay Rays, the Pirates were excited to receive the 30-year-old second baseman in a trade for relief pitcher Jesse Chavez. However, all the excitement that surrounded Iwamura entering the 2010 season vanished once he began his career as a Pirate. In 54 games as a Bucko, Iwamura hit just 182 and struck out in 31 of his 165 at-bats. That's an 18.7% clip. Pittsburgh designated Iwamura for assignment on June 16th after his poor performance both at the plate and in the field. Finishing the season with the Oakland Athletics, Iwamura ended his Major League Baseball career and returned to his home country of Japan to play for the Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles. Third base, Charlie Hayes, 1996. So the father of Pirates stud prospect Hugh Brian Hayes, Charlie's one season with the Pittsburgh Pirates is one he will certainly not forget. So after hitting 248 with 10 home runs and 62 RBIs and 128 plate appearances, what am I saying, 128 games with the fifth-place Pirates, Hayes was traded to the New York Yankees on August 30th, where he went on to win the 1996 World Series with the Bronx Bombers. Hayes, who hit 280 in 20 regular season games with the Yankees, caught the final out in the 1996 Fall Classic, securing New York's first World Series victory since 1978. At shortstop, we got Shawan Dunstan, 1997. So despite only playing 18 games for the Bucks, 
Dunstan was a key part of one of the most interesting stories in Pittsburgh Pirates history, the 1997 Freak Show. After losing shortstop Kevin Elser and Kevin uh, Polakovich to injury, the Pirates acquired Dunstan in a trade from the Chicago Cubs on August 31st in hopes of keeping their playoff dreams alive. Dunstan hit two home runs in his first game as a Pirate and batted 394 in the final month of the season. Unfortunately, the addition of Dunstan was still not enough to get the Pirates into the postseason as they finished second in the National League Central. Dunstan went on to leave the Pirates in free agency the following season, signing a one-year deal with the Indians. Left field, one of my favorite Pirates, Marlon Byrd, 2013. Just seeing this name, it puts a smile on my face. During their recent three-year stretch of making the postseason, it can be argued that no other rental player had a bigger impact for the Pirates than Bird in 2013. So on the cusp of ending a 20-year playoff drought, the Bucks made an aggressive decision to acquire Bird and catcher John Buck in a trade from the New York Mets on August 27th in order to prepare for a deep playoff run. Like Dunstan in 1997, Bird also hit a home run in his first game as a Pirate, resulting in him becoming an instant fan favorite. Bird at 308 with three home runs, 17 RBIs, and 30 career games with Bucks, helping them secure their first playoff appearance since 1992. In the National League Wild Card game, Bird opened up the scoring by hitting a solo home run off Red Ace Johnny Cueto, which was then followed by Russell Martin's infamous blast. Bird went on to hit 364 in the postseason for the Pirates before signing a two-year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies the following offseason. Okay, our center fielder is Kenny Lofton, 2003. So in his 17-year career, Kenny Lofton played for 11 different major league teams, the Pirates being one of them. Prior to the start of the 2003 season, the Bucks signed Lofton to a one-year deal worth $1.025 million. In 84 games, the six-time All-Star was solid, hitting 277 with nine home runs and 18 stolen bases. However, the reason Lofton makes this team isn't because of his play as a Pirate, but because of the way he left the organization. On July 23rd, the once again underperforming Bucks made one of, if not the worst trades in franchise history, sending Lofton, Aramis Ramirez to the Chicago Cubs, in exchange for Jose Hernandez, Matt Brubach, and Bobby Hill. While the Pittsburgh Pirates finished their regular season in fourth place with a record of 75-87, and 87, Lofton and Ramirez went on to help their new team reach the NLCS before being eliminated in seven games by the Florida Marlins in the infamous Steve Bartman series. Our, our right fielder is Raul Mondesi, 2004. There could not be a more appropriate player to round up this lineup than Raul Mondesi. After signing with the Pirates before the start of the 2004 season, Mondesi took a leave of absence from the team in early May for what he claimed to be personal issues. So after being placed on the restricted list on May 11th, Mondesi failed to return to the Pirates by May 18th, resulting in the club placing the right fielder on waivers and then releasing him after he was cleared. Less than two weeks later, Mondesi returned to baseball as a member of the Los Angeles Angels. After leaving its former last-place team for the Mondesi told reporters that he was unhappy with the conduct that he had with the Pirates and that he wanted to play for a team that had a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. However, after playing just eight games as an Angel, 
Montesi was placed on the disabled list due to tearing his quadriceps. He was then released by the Los Angeles Angels in July after he failed to show up for rehab therapy. In 2016, so the Bucks, Montesi at 283 with two home runs and 14 RBIs. So that is the list. If you feel that there is a more deserving player, please let me know on uh, my Instagram account. It's at Bucks Dugout. It would be fun to see if a name like Corey Dickerson will be eligible to make this list in the next few weeks or if the team makes a trade for another rental player. Whether they were good, bad, or ugly, I hope that each of these names brought back some memories because they sure did for me. All right, so to finish off our show this afternoon, um, I want to talk three bold predictions for the Pirates' second half. Okay, so I can't even count how many times I've talked that the Pittsburgh Pirates have had a wild first half. Since mid-May, the team went from fighting for the NL Central lead to then falling behind by 12 and a half games. There have been so many takes made by fans, media, and even the general manager. Some are good, most not great, and some very bad, a.k.a. me calling Stoney Marte a liability. So let's add to the hot takes and give some bold outcomes for the remainder of the 2018 Pittsburgh Pirates season. My first bold prediction, the team will finish with 85 wins. I should start by saying I believe Neil Huntington is going to end up being passive at the deadline, not making many major moves. He'll probably trade either Jordan Mercer or Corey Dickerson and get some prospects in return. Both of those players are replaceable internally, see Austin Meadows and Kevin Newman. When a lot of predictions were coming through as spring training ended, the Pirates were again expected to finish with a below 500 record. In my official predictions in March, on the Pirates, really, they, I wanted them to finish with more than 81 wins. So through 98 games, the Pirates sit at 49 and 49, good enough for fourth place in the division and eight and a half games back of the leading Chicago Cubs. Of the 21 remaining series in the second half, 12 come against NL Central opponents. The record against divisional opponents through the All-Star break is 23-16. and 16. If they can stay on that pace, that will put them at over 40 divisional wins. The last time they did that was 2013, when they finished 45-31. and 31. It will not be an easy task, especially when 10 of the games come against the Cubs. At 85 wins, this would most likely leave them on the outside looking in when it comes to even a wildcard berth. However, a strong start in, say, taking two out of three in Cincinnati, starting if we win the series tonight, would be a good boost forward. Second bold prediction, Josh Bell will finish with 25 home runs. So after a breakout 2017 where he finished third in Rookie of the Year voting, Josh Bell started 2018 in a funk. It took him until May 6th to hit his second home run, and he went into the All-Star break with just five after hitting 26 all of last season. Compared to last year, Bell is actually hitting slightly more fly balls than last year, 4.13 to 4.45%. But his home run to fly ball ratio is down at just 6%, where it was at 19.1% last year. And the 6% will be the fourth lowest of his career, including the minors. So while a 19.1% home run to fly ball ratio is 6% higher than any other year of his minor league career, Bell just hasn't been carrying the ball with power. His ISO is down to 135 from 211 last year, 
and his hard hit percentage is down to 29.2% from 32.6%. However, in July, Bell was slugging 465, including four doubles and a triple, just no home runs. I don't believe his surge to last year was a fluke. I just think pitchers know how to pitch to him now. The time off will do some good for his uh, psyche, and he will come back ready to mash. My third and final bold prediction, Jameson Town will finish with a sub-3 ERA. So everyone is scratching their heads when Jameson's ERA was just south of 5, 4.918 April's conclusion. He bounced back a little bit, but it still looked like his stuff wasn't all there. Then he made some tweaks to his approach on the mound, relying on a slider more. The results have been very positive. And those are my three bold predictions from the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, in the second half of the season. So that's just going to about conclude it for our episode today. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. You make the show. Without you, there is no show. Thank you so much for tuning in, especially to any new listeners out there. I thank you dearly for listening. I've had a great time doing this. Uh, family has dealing with some of family uh, matters right now. Uh, there was a death in the family recently, so I <laughs> this just puts a smile on my face, and the pirates are put a smile on my face. So hopefully we can uh, win this series, maybe even sweep the Reds. And I believe this team can get back to Bucktober. This team can get back to the pinnacle of what we are able to do. Please make sure to give me a follow on Instagram at BucksDaga and my buddy Jared at Pirates.Strong. It's been a great episode. We'll see you all next week, and hopefully our Pirates will stay hot and stand on winning streak. Have a great week, everybody. See you all Saturday.